Hey everybody, good to see you again. Thanks for being here at Hope and Anchor Church. I'm hoping that you have a desire to worship Jesus and to learn. Uh, as you know, we've been in a teaching series on the classic Christian spiritual disciplines. Uh, how do we discipline ourselves, train ourselves to place ourselves in the presence of the Lord more consistently? Uh, we've spent several weeks talking about Scripture prayer. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry, Scripture study and Scripture meditation is kind of those primary foundational disciplines. That's the well to which we go when we drink deeply daily that helps us understand more about uh, this self-revealing God, uh, His will that has been expressed to us, uh, and how we live according to that. How do we live in the light of that revelation? Uh, well, today, we're going to that next step, that next essential spiritual discipline. Can you imagine what we're talking about today? If we've already talked about scripture study, scripture meditation, what might be the next stop on that bus? No, not prayer. Not dancing. I'm just kidding. That's not it. It's prayer. Someone said prayer, and I think you're exactly right. Uh, so today we're going to talk about prayer, about learning to use our words in our relationship with Jesus in our life with God. So what this, this just in. This just in. Uh, did you know it is possible to fake it in church? Reports show that you can go to church, you can call yourself a follower of Jesus, and all the while be faking it. It's true. It's true. Headline. We can spend lots of time in church. We can even act like, call ourselves a Christ follower, and all the while be faking it. It could all be pretense. We could be saying and doing the right things. We could be getting along very nicely in the church, and all the while be kind of a fraud. Be really fake. Perhaps you've at times done some of this play acting on your own. Maybe you've done some of this play acting, this play pretend in the faith yourself. Would anyone be so brave to say, yeah, that's been me sometimes. Sometimes I've just been going through the motions. And now, there's a difference in this. I was talking to one of my kids the other day about how sometimes we do go through the motions with the right attitude, with the right heart, because sometimes if we're waiting to feel it, sometimes we'll never do what we know we're supposed to do. You can't just go by emotions. You can't just go by feelings. So sometimes you do just do the motions and your body does it and your spirit follows. But you know the difference, right? There's a faking it, a pretense where you're going through the motions so that you could deceive others, so that you could convince others that you're something that you're really not. And we know the difference. We have seen people actually become leaders in the church we have seen people gather a loyal following. We've seen people exert influence over others and yet be the most deceived and deceptive of all. Warren Buffett once said, you don't know who's swimming naked until the tide goes out. You ever heard this? You don't know who's swimming naked until the tide goes out. Then you know. 
When crisis comes, when temptation, conflict, when these things come, when feast turns to famine, when laughter turns to tears, when all fakery fails and facades fall away, when the tide goes out, we discover who's been swimming naked, spiritually speaking. In those painful and inevitable times, the true condition of the soul, the true depth of one's life in Christ is revealed. And sadly, startlingly, many of us in that situation were found naked and ashamed. That's a terrible place to find yourself in when everything kind of falls apart. Everything kind of uh, ends up in the ditch and all of a sudden we have nothing to lean on, nothing to fall back on because all of it has been show, all of it has been a facade and there's, it's hollow in the center and there's nothing left, nothing real about our life in Christ. Our life's true foundation is exposed and we feel like an imposter. We feel like a fake, a fraud. In trying times, in low tides, we find our faith was based on something else. Our faith was based on something other than the transforming work of the Holy Spirit, the transforming work of the Holy Spirit, which is largely cultivated through spiritual disciplines, uh, primarily through the spiritual disciplines of Scripture study and meditation and the spiritual discipline of prayer. While religious activity and church participation can feel spiritual and can indeed be significant, these things are no substitute for true spiritual depth and true Christian maturity. Activity can never replace substance. Busyness can never replace actual relationship. When storms come, which Jesus said would happen, right? Jesus wasn't candy-coating, wasn't leading us down the primrose path. He said it will happen. Storms will come. The waves will crash. The rain will fall in your life. When the storms come, which Jesus said would happen, our inadequate foundation is revealed and our religious fakery falls apart. And why is this? It's because our faith in Jesus lacks a foundation of spiritual growth and vitality. It lacks the foundation for spiritual growth and vitality that comes through Scripture study and meditation and from a vibrant, life-giving practice of prayer, which is really an ongoing conversation with God. As Paul, the Apostle Paul, highlights in 1 Corinthians 3.11, he says, For no one can lay any foundation other than the one we already have, Jesus Christ. There can be no other foundation in your Christian faith than the one that has already been laid in Jesus. Your foundation as a follower of Jesus, Jesus has to be Jesus. If the true foundation of our faith is laid anywhere else but in Jesus, we are bound to be exposed, we are bound to be disappointed, and in the end, bound to be ill-equipped. Ill-equipped to sojourn through this life and endure all the storms that will come. I'd like to start off in uh, the Gospel of Matthew today. Uh, if you have your Bible, you can turn to Matthew chapter 7. You can flip there or scroll there, however you're accessing it. Matthew chapter 7, 
Verses 29, 21 through 29. Matthew 7, 21 through 29. Here Jesus is teaching about doing the Father's will. And in that, we hear Jesus' words and actually put them into action. Okay, how do we, hear Je- how do we obey God's words? We hear Jesus' words and we put them into action. Verse 21. Not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. On judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name and cast out demons in your name and we performed many many miracles in your name. But I will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's laws. Anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise. Anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise, like a person who builds a house on solid rock. Though the rain comes in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against that house, it won't collapse because it is built on bedrock. But anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it is foolish, like a person who builds a house on sand when the rains and floods come, when the rains and floods come and the winds beat against that house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teachings, for he taught with real authority, quite unlike their teachers of religious law. Lots of things to hear here that Jesus is saying, right? But hear that Jesus is saying this. It is possible to build on a firm foundation. He is making himself available. He's offering himself to us to be that firm foundation that can, that can help us endure. It is possible to build on a firm foundation, one that endures in the face of storms. What kind of storms? Storms of doubt, storms of hardship, of persecution, of conflict, of temptation, and of other crises. This foundation is solid and secure. Jesus points to a key ingredient, though. How do we build on that firm foundation? He points to one thing that is most important. Obedience. Obedience. Jesus points to obedience. He says, those who hear, those who embrace, and those who go on to live my teachings... They will endure. They will have built on a firm foundation. Obedience, hearing and obeying, hearing and living. Not only is Jesus' wisdom the key to our faith, it is the key to our transformation. Prayer is the catalyst. Prayer is the change agent that enables us to hear Jesus' words and then faithfully put them into action. Okay, It's in prayer that the Holy Spirit comes and helps download what Jesus has said to us and help it infiltrate our whole life, guide, direct, not just our worldview, but our actions. Prayer is the catalyst that enables us to hear Jesus' words and put them into action. Prayer, how do, what is it? Our working definition of prayer is this, and it's super short, which you'll like. Prayer is keeping company with God. Keeping company with God. To listen, to share, to intercede, and to surrender. Keeping company with God. That's Philip Yancey's definition, and I like it. It's portable. It's easy to remember. Good things, right? Keeping company with God. What does that make you feel? It's like, hey, you have invitation in Jesus to keep company with God. I don't know what your previous perceptions of prayer has been, what you've seen of prayer, what you've experienced of prayer, but sometimes it's this rigid, formulaic thing. But it's really just about sitting with our Maker and saying, Speak, Lord, your servant's listening. I want to hear you speak. I want to talk to you. 
I want to walk with you. I want to hear you. I want to see the world like you see it. I want to become more and more aligned with your will. And I want to see fruit developed in my life. Let's keep company. Let's spend time together. So as we've said in weeks past, the life in Christ is about change and transformation. The life in Christ is about change and transformation. We desire to be changed. And good news, God desires to change us. And even better than that is He's given us prayer as a primary catalyst for that change. God is not sitting on a mountaintop, high and far away, aloof, waiting for us to suffer enough, struggle enough to reach Him and offer the right sacrifices just to keep Him from uh, striking our crops or <laughs> bringing illness. No, He's not that kind of God. He's the kind of God that is eager to enter in, to come alongside and to help you become that which He desires you to become. We desire to be changed. God desires to change us. And He's given us prayer as a primary catalyst for that change. Uh, just by a show of hands, how many have heard of a man named George Mueller? Mueller. It's got an umlaut over the U, right? Mueller. He's German, all right? George Mueller, uh, he was born in 1805 and lived till 1898. Uh, he was a uh, German pastor and evangelist who lived and lived most of his ministry, worked, uh, spent most of his life in England. But uh, he was a giant. He is regarded and remembered as a giant, a giant of prayer. Ooh, yes, Lord. Uh, he, he was a giant in the realm of prayer and of reliance on God for provision and care. You know, you may know his story, but it's pretty remarkable, right? Regarding prayer, George Mueller once described it as, Prayer is obtaining food for the soul. Prayer, it's obtaining food for the soul. It's sustenance for our inner being. Our, our, our soul is fed through prayer. Mueller, growing up as a thief and a gambler in Germany, it's reported that at age 14 he was out drinking and playing cards with friends as his mother was at home dying. <laughs> There's so many things going on there. He's 14, <laughs> out drinking uh, as a thief and a gambler while his mom was dying at home. Clearly, God had some work to do in this guy's life, but George Mueller later in life, while he was attending the University of Hale or Halle, uh, Mueller went, met a friend who invited him to a prayer meeting, uh, and at this prayer meeting, Mueller unexpectedly felt called to follow Jesus, and he surrendered his life <laughs> to Christ. Subsequently, Mueller, George Mueller, he served in ministry for many years, and he pastored multiple churches. But as he grew in his faith, he felt a deep gospel compulsion to go to England. Why? Why go to England? Well, at this time, there was a widespread cholera ep epidemic sweeping across the British Isles, and it was decimating the population. Parents were dying from the illness, and kids were being left orphaned. So Mueller felt a calling, a gospel compulsion to care for these children that were being orphaned by the cholera epidemic in England. Thus, George and his wife named Mary, they opened up a home for orphans. In the year 1836, they opened their first home for orphans. And then uh, they opened up a larger orphanage called the Ashley Downs Orphanage in a town called Bristol in the year 1849. And Bristol is in the southwest of England. Ultimately, the Mueller's, over their time in ministry providing care for orphans, they provided a home for over 10,000 children. 
10,000 children in their various uh, orphanages during their lifetime. And, and they established 170, 117 schools that served the educational needs of over 120,000 children. That's pretty remarkable. But here's the thing that's even more remarkable. Astonishingly, George Mueller never solicited donations. He never asked for help. He never asked for donations. He, and he never went into debt. He never went into debt in running the orphanages uh, because in every aspect, he was firmly committed to just trusting in the Lord. Trusting that God was not just able to care, but was able to provide. He trusted in the Lord. He relied solely on prayer and on faith. He and his wife Mary, they provided for up to 2,000 orphans at a time, believing, quote, My Lord is not limited. He can supply again. He can again supply again and again and again. My Lord is not limited. He can supply. So, over the years, the stories anecdotally go that... Uh, there'd be a knock on the door. They'd be sitting at the table. There's no food. And they're like, Lord, you will provide. You'll provide. There'd be a knock on the door. It'd be the bread truck driver out front. He's like, hey, I blew a tire out front. This, <laughs> it's going to be a while before I can get it fixed. This bread's going to go bad. Or the, the milk truck breaks down. It's like, all oh, this milk's going to go bad. There were people in the community that knew about what they were doing and they would send food and it would show up at just the right time. There were actual times that Mueller tells about where their kids are around the table that there's nothing in the kitchen, there's nothing on the table. They pray and God delivers food. There's food. Food shows up. Money is given that they can buy food. It's just crazy how God provided. So what was Mueller's secret? What was his secret? What, what strategy was he following? Well, not surprisingly, his work stemmed from a deep love of the gospel, a deep devotion to Jesus, and his work was fueled by hours spent each day in Scripture and in prayer. When and how did Mueller pray? I don't know. Did he pray by his bedside like a good child is taught? Probably. Did he pray before meals? Yeah, I think so. But where he spent most of it, uh, historically, they, they, he says that where he spent most of his times was uh, walking in the fields. Daily, he went on long walks, and those walks were dedicated as time to keep company with God. His walking prayer was what, what was critical to his interaction with the Father, and uh, I believe then seeing God provide for him, his walking prayer. So that may bust your, like, you know, preconceptions about prayer wide open. It's like, wait, I thought you had to be kneeling by your bed. I thought you had to be sitting in church. No. Walking prayer. Driving prayer. Being available to God, whatever you're doing, has power. It's important. So Mueller spent hours a day in walking prayer, praying the gospel, praying scripture, listening to God and interceding. So what... God did through the ministry and the work and the obedience of George and Mary Mueller was exciting, but it was also rare. And why is that? Why are the George and Mary Mueller's so rare? Is it because God wanted to do something very unique through them and in their ministry? Well, maybe to some degree, but do we not trust that God can and will provide in our situations as well? But why don't we see that happen? Why are the George and Mary Mueller so, so rare? Well, if I can be real honest, 
I think there's five reasons why at least. There's five reasons why uh, this kind of prayer, this habit of prayer, this kind of uh, uh, activity in prayer is so rare. Five reasons. One, lack of discipline, lack of faith, lack of nearness, lack of need, and lack of familiarity. First, lack of discipline. Prayer is rarely planned. Time is rarely allotted and space is rarely made for intimate, reliant, persistent prayer. I mean, I'll be the first to tell you that when things are going well in my life, prayer is pretty rare, right? I mean, there's not a lot of time. I usually go rushing in like Kramer, you know, like, God, you got to help me, you know? Anyone else like that? They're kind of a Kramer prayer person? Yeah, I, when things are great, I'm not like regularly... God can't expect me to be at the same place at the same time every day very much. I don't know if anyone else is like that. You guys might be awesome about this. But honestly, I'm forgetful. I've struggled to create a, a disciplined pattern, practice of prayer. So lack of discipline, I think, is one of the reasons. Secondly, lack of faith. Because prayers aren't answered when or how we expect, we often give up. We lose hope. And then we end up frantically casting about trying to see that need met in other ways, giving up on God. Maybe you struggle with that. So lack of discipline, lack of faith. Third, lack of nearness. Lack of nearness, maybe your conception of God makes it hard to think that you're intimate with Him, that you're friends with Him, that you can actually keep company with Him. God feels far away. And because He feels far away and detached, we have no desire to pray into the void. Because we feel no intimacy, we feel no friendship with God, we don't feel like a child of God. He's more of a theoretical idea and not a, 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 a near reality to us. So lack of nearness. Fourth, lack of need. Things are going well for us, and I mentioned this a little bit. Things are going well for us and we feel self-sufficient. Our lives are pretty comfortable and we have no felt need for prayer. We just don't feel like we need to. We just don't like, thanks God, got it from here. I'll let you know if I need anything. And then lack of familiarity. Christians pray so little because they haven't learned how to pray. The most basic of spiritual activities in the life with Christ feels foreign to us. And can we just be real honest in that? I mean, we live in a time and a place that makes it difficult for us to be regularly reliant upon God in prayer. I mean, I know this may maybe stepped on some toes, but this is really, when I, when I had to come up with these, I'm thinking about myself. Where do I struggle? Lack of discipline, lack of faith, lack of nearness, lack of need, lack of familiarity. Not spending time in prayer daily uh, as I should. And no wonder, prayer feels foreign to me. You know, I, I run a lot. This isn't in my notes, so we'll see where this goes. But I run a lot. I run like four days a week at least. Well... Pretty typically, four days a week. But anyway, when I get to the trailhead, wherever I'm going to run, there's not much thought that has to go into it as I get started. Before I know it, my watch is started, I'm off, I'm running, I'm doing my thing, I'm thinking my thoughts, I'm doing whatever. And I didn't have to prep for it the way I used to back when I first started. 
Why? Because I'm disciplined in this. I have a habit formed where I just know how to do it, so I don't have to relearn it every time. I don't have to go through the front of the mind like, okay, what do I do? Okay, I put my right foot forward, and then I put my left foot forward, and I, and I, I do alternate. You know, I'm not having to think through the motions of it. I just know how to do it because I've done it a lot. I mean, I run between 1,800 and 2,000 miles a year. You do that, you spend 1,800 to 2,000 minutes a year in prayer. Likewise, it will become a lot more... Uh, ready to go. You don't have to think about it. You just jump into it and you go. Some days it's hard. Some days it's easy. Some days it's uh, really difficult to find the motivation. Some days you can't wait to get out and run. Likewise, you can't wait to get out to pray. I think we need to handle our prayer life in the same way we handle the other important disciplines in our lives. Whether it's running, whether it's um, scrapbooking, I don't know, whatever. Does anyone still scrapbook? That's like from the early 2000s. Well, speaking of the early 2000s, do you remember a television show called Nanny 911? Do you remember this show? Nanny 911, it ran from 2004 to 2008. Uh, it was a show where British nannies would swoop in to help families whose children were demon-possessed. <laughs> I mean, really, you watch the show, it's like, they don't need nannies, they need a priest. <laughs> yeah, bring the holy water, you know? They like pea soup spitting out of their mouth. It was gross. Now, these children were holy terrors, and these families were just immobilized by dysfunction. Uh, these nannies, the British nannies, the nanny 911s, they would, they would almost miracul miraculously, in the course of one episode, they would bring order to the chaos. They would teach the parents, <laughs> key in this, most of the time the problem was with the parent, not the child. The child was just reacting to bad parenting. But anyway, they would teach the parents, as well as the children, better ways of what? Communication. They would teach them how to communicate better, often saying, use your words. Use your words. Don't freak out. Stop throwing tantrums. Stop screaming. Stop breaking things. Use your words. There is a sense, a sense in which prayer comes naturally to humans just as crying comes naturally to a baby. There's an impulse, an instinct in us to pray, pray to something or someone. We pray. We don't have to be reminded. We go to prayer, but it's oftentimes that only at that instinctive level of like, oh, help, help, in the way that a baby naturally knows how to cry. But here's the thing. Crying for our basic needs is very limited in its expression. As a parent of a young baby, you've got to learn how to interpret one mode of communication that can indicate a multitude of different things. You have to just be able to discern, okay, well, they're crying because they're, they've got a poopy diaper, or, oh, they're hungry. Oh, I left a mousetrap in their car seat, or whatever. <laughs> That's hypothetical, but never happened. But uh, crying for basic needs is a very limited form of expression. Uh, is crying and sobbing the only mode of communication we need in life? I mean, as adults, would crying and sobbing get you what you need in life? Unless you're at Walmart. I mean, Walmart, you see adults doing this all the time, but it's weird. But we have to move beyond sobbing and crying when we have a need, right? Because it's limited in its communication potential and what we can express. We must grow and learn. We must learn the language 
of prayer. We must learn to use our words. God's kids learn to pray largely the same way kids learn to talk. As with language acquisition, there are many ways to learn, but the best way is by what? How do you best learn a language? What's that? Repetition, but what else? Immersion. Immersion. As with language, language acquisition, there are many ways to learn, but the best way is immersion, living among people who speak that language. So in the, case, in, the, in the case of prayer then, living among a praying people is the best way to learn how to pray. And this is what the local church can and ought to be, a praying people, among which we can learn to pray, with whom we can learn to pray. I've been studying Italian for years now, yet I am still not fluent. Why? Well, Duolingo has limitations. Uh, now I'm on to uh, Mango. I'm learning other languages, but I'm still not fluent. I met a, a couple Italian speakers in England a few, uh, several weeks ago, and I was so excited to speak Italian with them, and I was gravely disappointed in myself because I had to think about everything. I had to think about which word to use and then what word to use next and this and that. And, and all, the only word I could get out was sunscreen in Italian. Crema de solare. Uh, I mean, how useful is that, right? I've spent years learning Italian, studying Italian, but I'm not fluent. I do not think in Italian. I do not dream in Italian. I struggle to actually speak in Italian. Why is this? It's because I've never spent time with people who speak Italian. I've not interacted in situations where I needed the language. So, we learn as in learning a foreign language, we learn to pray by praying and by being around others who pray. This is the best way to learn that language. We begin to think prayerfully as we are immersed in a praying culture. Does that make sense? As we become a people of prayer, prayer becomes more of our, 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 our common language. Once we learn that language, we can begin to shape words and sentences. We can hear and we can understand. We can share and we can listen with God more fluently. How does that sound? Man, I want prayer to be a, a native language to me. I want to be fluent in my prayer life with God. And I want to be fluent in that prayer life with you guys. That we together would be a fluent praying community. Of all the spiritual disciplines, prayer is second only to God's Word in importance. Prayer is second only to the, the revealed Word of God in, in the Bible. Prayer is only second to that. Whatever spiritual disciplines you may practice, without this, the basic spiritual disciplines of prayer and scripture study and meditation, the others are inevitably empty and powerless. A lack of Christ-likeness flows inherently from a lack of prayer. We must come to grips with this basic fact. To be like Jesus, we must pray. To be like Jesus, we must pray. You think of Jesus, he taught a lot of things, he did a lot of things, but his prayer life was impactful most to those who spent the most time with him. They wanted to learn how to do the miracles, they wanted to learn how to teach with the authority he taught with, but at root, when they had the chance, they came to Jesus and said, Jesus, teach us how to pray. Teach us how to pray. We wake up so many mornings, you're not even in, in camp with us anymore. You're off praying. You pray all through the night sometimes. How do you do that? 
teach us how to pray. If we were to be like Jesus, we must pray. So prayer is essential in the life with Christ, and it is also expected of us. We are, it's expected that a person of faith in Jesus will pray. Look at a Matthew chapter 6. We're going to warm your Bible up here. We're going to flip around just for a second here. Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 9. When you pray, Jesus says, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites who love to pray publicly in the street corners and in the synagogues where everyone can see them. I tell you the truth, that is all the reward they'll ever get. But when you pray, go away by yourself, shut the door behind you and pray to your Father in private. Then your Father who sees everything will reward you. Verse 7, when you pray, don't babble on and on as people of other religions do. They think their prayers are answered merely by repeating their words again and again. Don't be like them, for your Father knows exactly what you need even before you ask him. And then he goes on to say, pray like this. And he goes through the Lord's Prayer. When you pray, when you pray, this is how you should pray. Luke 11, 9. Luke chapter 11, verse 9. And so I tell you, Jesus said, keep on asking and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks, receives. Everyone who seeks finds, and to everyone who knocks, the door will be open. This is Jesus inviting us to be persistent. Ask, seek, and knock. Uh, the Apostle Paul in Colossians chapter 4, verse 2 through 4. Colossians 4, 2 through 4. Devote yourselves to prayer with an alert mind and a thankful heart. Pray for us too that God will give us many opportunities to speak about His mysterious plan concerning Christ. That is why I am here in chains. Pray that I will proclaim this message as clearly as I should. Devote yourselves to prayer with an alert mind and a thankful heart. Devote yourselves. You see, as human beings, everyone here is devoted to something. Everyone is devoted to something. Uh, most of us are devoted to many things. When something is a priority in our lives, we are devoted to it. We sacrifice for it, we give time to it, and we order our schedule around it. What priorities are there in your life that go on your calendar first? There are standing appointments, priorities in your week that you have to schedule around because these things are the most important things to me. These are the things to which I'm most devoted. Some of us, uh, uh, it's dinner time at home with the family. We don't schedule other stuff because we want that time uh, to be sacred. Uh, we don't um, schedule things at other times because we know there's other things that we've committed to and we will not move them. Uh, we make appointments with the stuff that matters. And uh, we're all devoted to things. And here's, the, here's, here's maybe the big surprise from the day. God expects His children to be devoted to prayer. If you're following after Jesus, one of the expectations is that we will be devoted to a life of prayer. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16-18 1 Thessalonians uh, 5, 16-18 says, Always be joyful. Never stop praying. Be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. Always be joyful. Never stop praying. Be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. What is God's will for you who, who belong to Christ Jesus? Always be joyful, never stop praying, be thankful in all circumstances.
God's desire, His expectation for His children is that we would be devoted to prayer. Now, continual prayer is more than an activity. It's rooted in relationship. I mean, if you say, I talk to my wife all the time, it doesn't mean that I have like scheduled times where I sit down and just like talk for X amount of minutes and then move on and then the next day come back and talk for X amount of minutes again. No, we live life together. We're interacting all the time and it's natural that we communicate because we live together. Our lives are overlapping all the time. Continual prayer is more than activity. It requires relationship. Prayer becomes a vibrant expression of a healthy friendship with God. It is keeping company with Him as a normal part of life. Prayer shouldn't be this thing that's out there, this conscious activity that we have to remember to do. It just becomes part of who we are and how we live with God. Martin Luther remarked one time, as it is the business of tailors to make clothes and of cobblers to mend shoes, so it is the business of Christians to pray. Did you hear that? As it is the business of tailors to make clothes and of cobblers to mend shoes, so it is the business of Christians to pray. The practice of prayer, it enlivens and sustains our walk with Jesus. Prayer, it enlivens and sustains our very walk with Jesus. The practice of prayer, it enriches and contextualizes our quiet hours, uh, our interaction with God, His Word, and His world. Prayer is what informs and orients, calibrates us. The life in Christ is about change, yes. It is about transformation, indeed. We desire to be changed. God desires to change us. And prayer is the primary catalyst, change agent for that change. So, let's end up where we began. What if the tide went out today? What would we find? Awkward, <laughs> right? What if the tide went out today? What would we discover about each other? What would, we, what would you discover about your life with God? Is it more show than substance? Are you wearing garments of religion? Are you wearing garments of church participation instead of garments of Christ-likeness, of deepening maturity and familiarity with God our Maker? <laughs> here's the promise and here's the invitation. It doesn't have to be that way. We don't have to be fake anymore. We don't have to be uh, living in pretense. We can actually, even if it's small, even if it's uh, insubstantial feeling at sometimes, we can have a true, real, and growing prayer life with God. Ongoing conversation. We can be learning day by day to keep company with God. There is much to be discovered. There is much to be enjoyed in our relationship with God. So just do it. Start today. Make it a priority. As George and Mary Mueller understood, you too can believe, my God is not limited. He can supply again. My God is not limited. He can supply again. So everything can, start, can change starting now. It really comes down to, are you ready? Are you ready to grow in this area? So uh, after we uh, pray and after we worship a bit more, I'm going to give you some like real practical guidance on that. But um, let's go to the Lord right now. Let's offer this up. All the realities that we've recognized in us, all the realities about what God has offered to us in Jesus through the catalyst of prayer, let's bring all that before the Lord, okay? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the persistent message of the Gospels from Jesus, from the apostles, that we 
ought to spend time with you because that is where our very livelihood uh, comes from. That is how we learn to be your children. That is how we learn to hear from you, to hear the truth of your word and to integrate that into how we live our lives. As Jesus said, we have to be able to take what you've said and put it into action. Our lives have to be centered and built on a foundation of obedience to Christ and his teachings. And that's only going to happen through familiarity with your revealed word and through that ongoing conversation, that daily keeping company with you, listening closely, making ourselves available to the work of the Holy Spirit through prayer. So God, I pray that you'd give us a conviction in that. I pray that you'd give us an appetite in that. That even now we'd get our calendar out, literally or figuratively, and we would make an appointment with you each and every day. Whether that's kneeling beside our bed, or whether that's walking in the fields, or maybe it's on that commute to work. We have a standing appointment with you that we will say in our heart of hearts, Speak, Lord. Your servant is listening. Unless you speak to me, I will die. I have to hear from you today. I must hear from you. Teach me how to make myself, myself present with you, available to you, attentive and responsive to you. There's a good chance this week the tide's going to go out for some of us. Things are going to fall apart. The rain's going to come down. The waves are going to crash. And we're going to find the weakness in our spiritual life. It's going to be exposed. But I pray, just like Adam and Eve, that we would have the boldness when we find ourselves naked and ashamed, that we would be, have the boldness, the courage to recognize that and to step out from behind the bushes all the ways that we've been trying to hide and trying to fake it. That we'd stand before God our Maker. We would stand before Christ Himself and we would say, I'm naked and I'm ashamed and I need you. Dress me. Dress me in your righteousness. Teach me how to stand in your presence so that you might put your garments of praise and of, uh, of holiness upon me. Lord, your desire is that we live lives of, of, of fakeness, of pretense. You've called us to be brave enough to acknowledge our needs and our inability to do it on our own. So Jesus, teach us how to pray. We speak with your disciples, those following after you as we come close, and say, Jesus, teach us how to pray today, we ask. Teach us how to do what you do. We want to know the Father like you know the Father, so teach us how to pray. You are able to supply, and you can do it again. We ask that you would, in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, we're going to sing a song. We're going to worship a bit. I'm going to stand at the back. If you want to pray with somebody, I'd love to pray with you. But this is a chance for you to sit with the Lord and maybe the first time in a long time say, surprise, here I am. Let's talk. Let's talk. I want to hear you speak. Maybe open your word and pray the Lord's Prayer. Just say, God, I want to start now. I want to start now building on the firm foundation. Teach me how to pray. So worship, and then we'll talk a bit in a few minutes.